0: This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for radio, and now in its 25th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. Most global car makers are heavily promoting electric vehicles as a solution to climate change, but a major car company just said that EVs aren't for everyone. We'll explore that coming up. Meanwhile, Canada is not too happy about new proposed U.S. tax credits on EVs, And some car dealers aren't either. We'll tell you why coming up. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Redd. With me is co-host Chris Teague. We do America on the Road each week cross-country. And I always am happy to speak with Chris, and you're probably happy to hear from him. Chris, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing well, Jack. Uh, Just enjoying the last gasps of uh, summer here, as I've been saying for weeks now, it feels like, but we're now firmly into uh, the time of year where people are switching off of the summer tires and hopefully to either winter or at least all season tires because we're down in the 30s overnight and a nice uh, rainy day today to go slide around. So uh, enough about my weather. How are things uh, in sunny Southern California today? Uh,
0: not so sunny. Uh, actually raining today. Uh, the dog came in wet when my wife took uh, took him for a walk. So uh, we have that going for us. Uh, it's getting to be the quote-unquote rainy season here which means every now and then it'll rain a little bit. But uh, this is not about the weather. This is not a meteorological show. This is about cars. And uh, we've got some pretty cool cars to talk about uh, with you this week. And we have a great guest. Our special guest is Melinda Godek. She's Volkswagen's product planner and product planner on the Volkswagen Tiguan, the brand's most popular model. So we'll chat with her about that. And Chris, uh, you have an, uh, I think, kind of a, undersung vehicle or maybe an unknown vehicle uh, in the road test segment. Tell us a bit about what you're going to be talking about.
1: I did, or I do. I have uh, the Hyundai Elantra N line, which is uh, kind of a sportier version of the Elantra before we see the uh, Elantra N, which will come out at some point next year. I'm excited to talk about it.
0: Right, and I'm excited to talk about something other than a three-row SUV, which I typically talk about on the show, but this time around we have the 2022 Cadillac CT5V Blackwing, the most powerful Cadillac ever. I got a chance to drive that during the North American Car of the Year testing recently in uh, the middle of Michigan. So we'll be chatting a bit about that. So that's coming up. But before we talk about that, we'll have some of the latest automotive news from around the globe. So stay with us for that with Chris Teague. This is Jack Neerad with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague, Jack Nierad back with you. And it is automotive news time on America on the Road. And I think we've got some fascinating news from one of the major car companies out there and certainly we hear most of the car companies now singing the tune of combating global climate change with electric vehicles battery electric vehicles Uh, there is one car company that's not quite as enthusiastic as the others uh, about that and that uh, car company is toyota its chief scientist gil pratt said on Thursday that not everyone should drive an electric vehicle. There are other ways to combat climate change, they say. and uh, they could well be right. This echoes the words of President of Toyota, Akio Toyota, whose name is spelled different than Toyota, by the way, but uh, on the radio it probably sounds the same. He says electric vehicles will play a greater role in reducing emissions but they should look at other solutions, but uh, the world should look at other solutions, including gasoline electric hybrid models and hydrogen power fuel cell vehicles. Of course, we drove a, a Toyota fuel cell vehicle a couple of weeks ago and road tested it on the show, uh, the Toyota Mirai. They believe a diversity of drivetrains. Is the answer to give customers different tools to reduce CO two emissions? What's your take on that, Chris?
1: Yes, I think it's a good idea that, that there's a diversity of drivetrains here. You know, a hybrid might be better for some people. We've talked about the the infrastructure issues here in Maine, uh, making it difficult to drive an EV full time. Uh, but I will say it's a little it's a little uh, questionable coming from Toyota, the brand that has put so much money and time into hydrogen fuel cell vehicles, and is only just now really ramping up on battery electrics. So uh, I think the sentiment is accurate or maybe even valid uh, for most people, but uh, the source is a little hard for me to swallow.
0: Well, I kind of get that. At the same time, I think... um And I I agree with this, uh, that uh, their scientist, uh, Pratt, said that government incentives should be aimed at reducing carbon emissions. I mean, one could even argue about that, but I'm not going to do that right now. But if you want to uh, reduce carbon emissions, just going to battery electrics isn't the only way to do that, Uh, that government incentives should not pick which car technology is the best way to achieve this. And I I think there's a dose of reality here. Uh, You know, a lot of car companies are talking uh, about... Uh, going to 30, 40, 50 percent of their production uh, and sales to electric vehicles by five years from now or so, or certainly by 2030. And I just don't think with uh, electrics being 2 percent of the American market now, we're going to increase that by five, by a factor of five (laughs) over the course of uh, seven, eight, nine years. I mean, what do you think about that?
1: Yeah, and to both your and Toyota's point, uh, you know, if you look at other brands like Hyundai, and they've they've done this as well with hydrogen, I think that there is a case to be made for commercial vehicles. Like if you can imagine uh, like a commercial shipping yard, all those trucks running around all the time that having one down for several minutes or half an hour to charge is not really practical. So hydrogen might be a better solution for those guys. So, you know, I agree with that in concept and I think it is absolutely true, especially when you talk about government incentives. So, you know, the government incentivizing EVs over a hydrogen vehicle or over a, a plug-in hybrid vehicle. Uh, it might be better for, to let the market decide that. But again, you know, it's it's tough for me to swallow it from Toyota, but even though they're they're probably very right in their statement here.
0: Well, here's a, a little bit of information from Reuters about this. Toyota has said its plans to invest $13.5 billion through the year 2030 on electric vehicle batteries and to roll out battery electric vehicles. So that's a pretty big uh, investment. But in comparison to what General Motors and Ford Motor Company are investing, about $30 billion each through 2025, that's not not nearly as much, right? It's less than half as much. So your point is well taken that uh, Toyota has some uh, skin in the game here about other technologies other than battery electrics, and they're not necessarily the leader in battery electrics. So maybe that is coloring their thinking a little bit. I've got to believe it is. At the same time... I think there's a dose of reality there, as I said before. Here's another dose of reality about this, and uh, this goes to maybe unintended consequences. Canada, the country of Canada, said that uh, U.S. proposals to create new electric vehicle tax credits for American-built vehicles could harm the car industry and foul up trade agreements. Uh, This is reporting from Reuters. Um, There is a trade deal, of course, between the United States, Mexico, and Canada, Uh, that was forged actually during the Trump administration. Now Canadian Trade Minister Mary Ng has told uh, U.S. representatives and the Biden administration that, well, she's not necessarily, in Canada is not necessarily in favor of these tax credits. She says they would have a major adverse impact on the future of EV and automotive production in Canada. And that's because they reward vehicles that are made in the United States and they don't talk about vehicles that are made in other countries which includes, of course, Canada. So there is the risk, she says, of severe economic harm. And, you know, this points out what happens when politics gets mixed with business, doesn't it?
1: It does. At the same time, and this is me speaking as not a, an economics professor, so I guess I should probably frame this as a question rather than a statement. But uh, it would seem that the sort of rising tide lifts all ships. So, if you know, the American brands are selling more EVs. They both, all, actually all three of them have a pretty strong uh, presence, manufacturing presence in Canada. So would that not end up uh, benefiting those facilities and those employees as well? I mean, who, who could say, or I can't say.
0: Well, the reason they're objecting, Canada is objecting, is the fact that uh, these credits, which could be up to $12,500 per vehicle, and one has to wonder why the uh, US taxpayer is picking up that kind of money for for this, would only go to union-made vehicles produced in the United States. So the produced in the United States thing certainly wouldn't lift the boats of manufacturing in Canada. And that's why they're looking at this as being a protectionist measure. I don't know that they're objecting to the idea of tax credits to spur EV production. I think any industry would like tax credits to spur the production of whatever they're selling. Right. I mean, that only benefits uh, the manufacturers who are making that stuff, you know, whether it's bowling balls or, uh, you know, uh, boats or sailboats or uh, whatever insulation for homes. So uh, kind of interesting. And we'll see how this shakes out. Of course, none of this uh, legislation has been passed. But we alluded in the uh, opening to uh, the fact that some car dealers are against this whole idea. And you can probably guess which car dealers they are. They're car dealers that sell import cars uh, who wouldn't benefit from the tax credits that the American car companies or the car companies building in America would benefit from, especially in union-run plants, because not all of the plants, in fact, virtually none of the import vehicle plants in the United States are unionized. Here's another story, and uh, I found this uh, an interesting one, and I'm sure you have heard this too, Chris. Tesla had rolled out a full self-driving beta software, the latest version of it, uh, and then almost immediately withdrew it, and uh, that has (laughs) some issues. Uh, I found this amusing, Chris, and uh, well, maybe more than amusing. This is what Elon Musk of Tesla said "Seeing in a tweet, seeing some issues with 10.3, which uh, refers to the version of this self-driving software, so rolling back to 10.2 temporarily, and then he continued, please note this is to be expected with beta software. It is impossible to test all hardware configs configurations in all conditions with internal quality assurance, hence a public beta. Well, I would say if you're going to put self-driving on the road, <laughs> you shouldn't have the public testing this. What's your take on that, Chris?
1: Oh, man, where to even start? Uh, yeah, I think it's a little different. If you're going to release like a video game and have people test it, that's perfectly fine. I And, you know, we've been around the the bush with this or around the world or whatever you want to say about it with public testing. Uh, public beta testing of a of something that could impact more than one person's life, maybe several lives at the same time. Uh, I, I have very strong feelings about that. So, just as a note, the the issue that popped up, well, there among many it, with 10.3, is that the cars auto brake without uh, other cars for for no reason around them, uh, which could cause a rear end collision and some other issues. But it's also important to note that full self driving here does not actually mean that the, the car just go without a person in, behind the wheel. So uh, there's some some issues with, with titles here as well, I think.
0: Yeah, I think there's a lot of issues with this and, uh, you know, more to be heard, but I don't want the public to test something that uh, could involve big safety issues. And I think we're, we're all agreed on that. And when we come back, we will be road testing two fascinating vehicles, the Hyundai Elantra N-Line, their performance version of the Elantra. And the performance version, the super performance version of the Cadillac CT5, namely the CT5V Blackwing. So when we come back, we'll tell you all about both of those vehicles. Stay with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. It's road test time on America on the Road. We're quite excited. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Red back with you. And Chris, you were driving the performance version of the Hyundai Elantra. That is not an oxyboron. It's actually kind of an interesting performance version. But I'll let you describe the Hyundai Elantra N-Line
1: to us. Go ahead. I will. It is exciting, Jack. But uh, So first of all, I should break down what inline really is. So um, if you remember a couple of years ago, we saw uh, Hyundai, the uh, Veloster N, which is a three-door hatchback, Uh, the N being their sort of performance version. If you want to think of it like BMW's M or Mercedes AMG, this is that sort of step. But the inline is between the standard Hyundai cars and that in the full in if you want to think of it like that so it's like a uh, a light in version uh, but in any case this car uh, improves on the standard car with about 55 more horsepower 54 more horsepower uh, it's got a uh, manual transmission as standard It can be had with a seven speed dual clutch transmission instead of the sort of mushy continuously variable uh, unit that you get in the standard car uh, this car's got a turbocharged 1.6 liter inline four with 201 horsepower 195 pound-feet of torque, as I mentioned, the six-speed manual gearbox, and front-wheel drive. And man, what an improvement over the standard car. If you're looking for something a little bit sharper, but you don't want to go sort of full fat with a performance car, you just want something a little bit more lively for your everyday commute. I can't imagine a better way to do it. Uh, This car's price tag is right around $25,000, I think $25,300, packed with features, uh, safety gear, everything else, just a total driving and value monster for what it is. And Jack, I'm going to ask you this. I don't know if you've driven the Veloster N or any of the other sort of full fat N cars, but what do you think about Hyundai? And they're sort of stepping up here with with these different versions of their cars, uh, even as other automakers are sort of moving away from cars altogether?
0: Well, I think it's a wise thing to do. And I think to have these various flavors of cars, uh, you know, kind of uh, standard car, then uh, more performance and then top performance, I think is a good way to go. As long as there's enough uh, market out there for the performance versions of them. And they kind of act as uh, what they call in the industry a halo for uh, the other vehicles. It makes the other vehicles seem a bit cooler. Uh, so I think it's basically a good idea. And I, I applaud it as long as it, it makes business sense.
1: I agree. And if you look at the Elantra line in general, it was redesigned for the 2021 model year. Uh, they've already sort of built in that sporty attitude to the car. So the, the sides are shaped with deep uh, chiseled sides Uh Polygon shapes everywhere, a very aggressive grill. Uh, and the standard car looks very sporty. It's very attractive. I think uh, a lot of people will gravitate toward that. Uh, maybe even over something like a Honda Civic, but it's a very attractive car to begin with. The inline adds 18 inch wheels. Uh, this car is white with black trim. So it's a very aggressive looking uh, car despite still being an Elantra. It's still very obvious that it's you know sort of the compact uh, budget car, but it definitely, it looks the part. And that's important here. Uh, it's got a sporty exhaust note the car feels overall, it just feels buzzy, like it's eager, it's ready to get up and go. Uh, the manual transmission and the steering are both very predictable, uh, they're comfortable to use, the clutch uptake is very smooth. For a manual transmission car, I think if someone, so uh, I don't actually own a manual transmission car, I get to drive one three, four times a year, it's always refreshing and, and nice to see what automakers are doing, uh, even as, as very few people are buying these things. Hyundai's done a great job pairing the Elantra sort of setup with a manual transmission and the more powerful engine. Uh, uh, it just feels right, like that's the way it should have been uh, for the standard car. However, you know, the inline is, is what we got. Inside, it's got upholstery, it's got a very spacious back seat. I was surprised with the room that we have. Both my kids now, uh, we talk about me being six feet tall, Jack, but both my kids now are in booster seats. So I don't have to jockey for position with a full size car seat, uh, in which case that makes this car uh, a great fit for us. Family of four could ride very comfortably in this car without much issue at all. This car uh, has an eight-inch touchscreen with wireless Apple CarPlay, Android Auto, Sirius XM radio, blind spot monitoring, the full suite of active safety equipment, too. So, again, I'm going to come back to the price and mention it again. $25,000. You get all of this for $25,000. The car is not perfect. It's a little bit loud inside. Uh, You know, the exhaust does get to be a little bit exhausting if you want to go that that route, not to be dad joke central here today. But uh, I think with a few... Shortcomings aside, this car is very good, especially for the price, and uh, I, I can't wait to drive it a little bit more. I've got it for a couple more days here.
0: Well, it sounds like fun, and I would love to drive it as well. I've driven other Elantras and think there's tons of value there. So it sounds like the N line just continues in that tradition, and uh, I think that's a pretty pretty cool
1: thing. I agree.
0: Well, I was driving a vehicle that, in in some ways, acts for the Cadillac uh, division of General Motors the way the N line works for for Hyundai. And that is the 2022 Cadillac ct 5 v Blackwing. Blackwing, of course, and maybe it's a, it would be more uh, synonymous with the N as opposed to the N-line because this is the ultimate Cadillac in terms of performance, in terms of performance from a sedan, certainly. It is the most powerful Cadillac ever built. And this uh, five-passenger sedan has more than 200 mile an hour top speed. <laughs> that alone is kind of mind boggling. And the acceleration is just uh, kind of crazy fast as well. It'll go from zero to 60 in 3.4 seconds, which is supercar territory. That is absolutely certain. The interesting thing is, I'm not sure that people picture this coming out of Cadillac. Uh, so I won't uh, review this vehicle from the marketing point of view. That's somebody else's to figure out, I guess. But I will rever- uh, review the hardware. And the hardware is just great. This is a terrific vehicle. As I say, the performance just is amazing. It is a five-passenger vehicle. And what is really surprising in the super performance car is it also gives you a boulevard ride. This can be just a day-to-day driver that does not beat you up at all, that you have a very quiet, and comfortable ride. Uh, it's due to the magnetic ride control, largely. And it does all this uh, against incredible competition, great cars like the BMW M5, for example, for a lot less money, uh, something like fifteen or $20,000 less. This does all this kind of performance for a base price of around $85,000. So, so much to like about this. Uh, if you care about performance out of a uh, sedan, You talked a bit about manual transmission, Chris, and uh, the standard transmission in the Blackwing is a six-speed Tremec manual trans. It's unlike the typical manual transmission, though, in that it has uh, some pretty trick features, including rev matching, and uh, it has what they call no-lift shift, which allows you to shift gears without letting off the gas pedal. So what's your take on this high-performance car from Cadillac.
1: Well, they've been at it a while, haven't they, with the CTS-V many, many years ago, almost 20 years ago now that car came out. Uh, They've had some time to improve on the formula. You mentioned the competition, and I think it's important to note that, uh, you know, the new CT5-V and even, uh, what is it, the CT4-V sort of, pick up the the torch where the M5 and the M3 left off for the people who still want that sort of purist experience right so you can't get the M5 with a manual transmission anymore it's all wheel drive it's got a twin turbo V8 uh still very very quick let's let's not get that wrong but a lot of people feel like the the blackwing cars and even the CT5 or the CTS-V before it uh were sort of the spiritual successors to those and i agree with that to a to an extent uh but i love it you know why not go ahead and, and take the V8 engine or internal combustion engines out with a bang? And, uh, you know, the horsepower and the performance that these cars put out is certainly impressive enough to uh, leave a good memory in a lot of people's minds.
0: Yeah, well, let's talk a bit about the horsepower. 668 horsepower from the turbo, or from the uh, supercharged, rather, supercharged uh, V8 engine, 6.2 liter V8 engine, uh, owes a lot to Corvette. 659 pound-feet of torque. That's just Amazing amounts of power and torque. It has a four lobe Eaton supercharger. They have small diameter rotors, so that spools up very quickly. That's a, a benefit of supercharging versus turbocharging as well. This is just unbelievable amounts of power. The interesting thing to me is uh, this manual transmission is standard, but the 10 speed automatic transmission provides you a much quicker car uh, by almost half a second, zero to 60. And it also gives you a lot of safety and driver assist features that are just unavailable with the six-speed manual. And I think that's an important distinction to where I'd be very inclined to get the 10-speed automatic CT5V Blackwing, as opposed to uh, the one with the manual transmission, as much as I like the test vehicle I had that had the manual transmission. Where do you fall on that, Chris?
1: That's a tough one. Uh, You know, I would have to think about it you really need to be dedicated to wanting that engaging enthusiast drive to go for a manual transmission these days, as good as the automatics have become. uh, You know, you save fuel, as you mentioned, the safety equipment, and they're quicker. So I might be more inclined to go automatic with this car as well, Uh, though the, the manual with that much power would certainly be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, absolutely true. One of the neat things that this vehicle has is a performance and video recorder. So you can record your drives, and then play them back and, you know, get all the telemetry about your driving, kind of like a video game, except it's a real car, <laughs> which I think is, is pretty cool. It's uh, just one of the wonderful things about this vehicle. I, I think there's so many. I have to wonder how many they are going to sell and whether this is a a vehicle that is going to jump out of the showroom at Cadillac. But I'll tell you, the value is certainly there. Even if you option this thing up towards $100,000, which you can easily do by adding things like carbon fiber and ceramic brakes, etc., etc., it's still an amazing value and a great dual-use car. I just I'm uh, kind of boggled by the the value in the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing.
1: Yeah, and if you go back uh, to my review of the car last year, we talked about it on the podcast. There's plenty of room for a family, too. So you could this could be your only car, and you could go out and roast the tires every weekend and never feel bad about it.
0: Absolutely. Even if you're six feet tall, it'll work for <laughs> your family. So that's good. And uh, we so we have the Elantra N-Line, very good value at its price point of around $25,000. And then the Cadillac CT5V Blackwing, another great value, actually, at $85,000. So two big winners this time around in our road test segment. And when we come back, we'll be speaking with a great guest. Her name is Melinda Godek. She is a Volkswagen product planner on the Volkswagen Tiguan. So stay with us for that. With Chris Teague, this is Jack Nerad with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jack Nerad back with you. We're in Malibu, California, where the sun has broken through, uh, the waves are <laughs> lapping at the shore, and we're driving the Volkswagen Tiguan. With us is a Melinda Godek.
2: Correct. Good, I
0: got it right. Yes, you did. Yeah, it's incredible. Great job. Uh, You're the product expert, product planner on the Volkswagen Tiguan.
2: Correct, I am. I have
0: just driven the 2022 version thereof.
2: Yes, that's our uh, facelift.
0: That's what we're here to talk about. Yes. So this is an important vehicle for Volkswagen. It's become an extremely important vehicle for Volkswagen in the United States. Tell us a bit about that to begin with.
2: Yeah, definitely. You know, so what we've seen is... When the Tiguan was first introduced, obviously, you know, we were very cognizant of the the fast growth in the compact SUV segment and we wanted to play and play we did. We did notice, though, however, that our Gen 1 Tiguan was a bit too small. Uh, So with Generation 2, which launched in 2017, we brought the long wheelbase and ever since then we've been doing extremely well selling over a hundred thousand units a year
0: well you kind of refer to the fact that the european manufacturers not just volkswagen but virtually all the european manufacturers were kind of slow to the suv party it wasn't something that was on their radar necessarily in europe as it was here Uh, and there's probably a little teething (laughs) going on right Uh, before you got it right but i think with this latest tiguan that is now being facelifted for 2022. You really hit the sweet spot uh, in terms of size, in terms of value. Tell us all about that.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think one thing to remember, obviously, is just the the roads and parking situations between Europe and the U.S. Right, and in, in Europe they do often need to to fit into very small spaces, whereas here in the U.S. we have a great deal of freedom of you know the parking possibilities, I would say, and you know, if we need a vehicle that is larger to accommodate things that we want to do, whether it's, you know, bringing our best friends, our dogs, our, our children with their, unfortunately, bulky car seats. I know I'm a mother. Um, I feel like those car seats haven't gotten any smaller for years. Um, we have that ability to do that. But you know, interestingly enough, Um, we do start to see the same trend actually happening in Europe. There is more want for an SUV.
0: Well, and it strikes me, you know, it's exemplified by the fact that the Tiguan is Volkswagen's biggest seller globally, which is is a shocker to me.
2: Yeah, it is the Volkswagen Group's biggest seller. I always love to, to add in that extra caveat out there out selling those uh, Audis <laughs> and uh, those Porsches. <laughs> but yes, no, it, it really is. And the compact segment really is, as you said, the sweet spot, right? You get all the extra room that a sedan or a hatchback, unfortunately can't offer, but it's also not ginormously large, right? You don't feel, I know sometimes customers love to say it this way, they don't feel like they're driving a boat. They still feel very much in control of their SUV.
0: Yeah, a beautiful size, absolutely, absolutely. Well, tell us a bit about the 2022. This has been a very well accepted vehicle. Now you do kind of what they call in the industry a mid-cycle refresh, I guess, right? Correct, correct. Uh, Kind of change things but not a, a complete revamp of the vehicle. Tell us a bit about what's new.
2: Yeah, absolutely. You know, so so refreshes are generally limited to have a, a little less of the sheet metal changes that you would see in an all new, all new vehicle. But you know, I think we've done a really good job of bringing in the sheet metal changes that were necessary to, to modernize the Tiguan, especially when you look at the front end, all new bumper, all new grill. We're bringing even in lighting elements within the grill, similar to what you see on the Taos or the Arteon. While retaining the strong character lines that, you know, people have come to love and expect on the Tiguan. When you see the facelift, you're still going to know that it's a Tiguan with the classic timeless design that really ages well. There are some vehicles out there that you see them a couple years later and they're fancy when they first come out and they're exciting and they're bold. But then a couple years later when the owner wants to sell it possibly or they're still driving it, maybe even still paying it off, it's just, it's not doing the same anymore. It's it's more, uh, old old-fashioned almost yeah. i mean I, there's
0: a classic look and that mm-hmm. helps you with retain value and uh, residual value right absolutely. because uh, the uh they retain their looks and that's a that's a great thing exactly. you said something interesting in the presentation i thought that lighting is the new chrome talk yes. a bit about that that's uh, fascinating to me
2: yeah absolutely so i think you know it's it's something that we're hearing from our designers today um chrome i mean i don't even know when we started putting chrome on vehicles you still see it today it it is it was even before
0: my time (laughs) Melinda. even before my time
2: you know but (laughs) it's always served one purpose and that purpose is to say i paid a great deal of money for this car isn't it cool
0: yeah it's kind of jewelry on the car right yeah
2: exactly it's that little extra bit and you know in the in the digital age as we're all streaming looking at our electronic lighting has just become so much more Um, and we're looking to replace that chrome i mean you even see some design um, elements now coming through in the industry where you're actually shying away from the shininess look things are becoming matte they're becoming toned down a bit more natural Um, and then of course with the entrance of the the electric vehicles, et cetera. You know, if you really want to give your vehicle a futuristic look, feel, vibe, you're going with light.
0: Right, and LED lighting throughout now, right?
2: Absolutely, we standardized it now on our our facelift. Well, and give
0: our listeners some kind of sense as why LED lighting is better.
2: Well, I would start with the fact that when someone buys an SUV, they're looking for safety right? First and foremost. A lot of the times these individuals are buying an SUV because their family's growing. Maybe they had a second kid. Um, Maybe they're toting around a couple extra kids from the neighborhood. Maybe they're driving around their dog who they care very much about. And when they get into their car they want to feel safe. And LED lighting just does a better job lighting the road ahead of individuals so that should anything jump out or you know be out of place you're going to see it a lot earlier than you you typically would with your old halogen lights
0: right it's also flexible i think from a design standpoint too
2: definitely definitely let's
0: talk a bit about the interior you did some revamping in the interior and some kind of a lush looking (laughs) interior and and throughout (laughs) actually from the s all the way up to the uh, top of the line talk talk a bit about that
2: yeah you know i think vws have always tried to be a little bit of a step above uh as far as the interiors go we've tried to to hunker down and, and really go back to what does it mean to be a vw and you know you're sitting in your car driving however long you know 10 minutes an hour you know some people are spending three hours in their car a day it it should be luxurious right it it should be comfortable it should be something that makes you uh, proud when you sit down in a car you should feel a belonging you should feel like you're part of a group of something bigger than yourself and it's something that we always try to put into our vws is just that fun to drive that amazing feeling when you get into your car and and you look and you see the stitching in the door you see the all-new colors that you just don't get from other oems right this year we brought the all-new cinnamon the all-new noisette which is a, a dark nut brown you know look at any of the competitors they're not offering you these things but vw has always valued that customizability and the luxurious look and feel, almost like the, the Audi younger brother or sister.
0: Right, and you have a cloth interior, you have a mm-hmm. leatherette interior, and then you have leather interior. Exactly. So it kind of goes up the scale. And leatherette and leather are hard to tell apart these days, aren't they?
2: They, they really are, and I, I love to mention the fact that a lot of our customers, when they go to the dealership, they truly do not see the difference between the, the leatherette and the leather, and that's not to say that we have you know, poor leather. We have wonderful Vienna leather. It's just the fact that we, our engineers have done such a good job on the leatherette that it looks and feels real.
0: Right. Let's talk a bit about driver information. You have a mm-hmm. driver information center, digital cockpit. Talk a bit about why that's important.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think generally we're seeing the trend go away from the, the gauges into a, you know, electronic uh, environment. What's really awesome with the Digital Cockpit Pro is the fact that you can customize your environment in the sense of what do I want to be shown on the left-hand side of the screen? What do I want to be shown in the right-hand side? And and what do I want in the middle? So again, you're offering the, custom, uh, the customer the flexibility to customize their vehicle so it becomes theirs.
0: Talk a bit about Powertrain, which uh, you, uh kind of a revamped powertrain w- uh, one thing i noticed immediately when <laughs> i got behind the wheel is wow this is peppy this feels good this has mm-hmm. plenty of power and plenty of torque right from the go Talk
2: yeah about no that. no absolutely and You know especially when you're in the suv segment and you know obviously your car is heavier than your traditional sedan you got to have a little extra to to get the same type of performance and i truly believe that our engine through the refinements that have been done by engineering is performing incredibly well. And we've brought um, the drive mode selection even to the front wheel drive variant so that you're able to go in there, select sport mode to get a a bit of a different driving dynamic should you want a bit more power versus the the fuel economy um, eco mode. So we're giving our customer the option again to customize their driving experience. Do I want to save money on gas or do I want to put my foot on the pedal to the floor and, you know, jump from the, from the traffic light?
0: Yeah, yeah, very, very important. Mm-hmm. And driver assistance features. It seems like there's a battle of whose suite has the most stuff and all of that. Oh, yeah. So uh, Talk a bit about that because I think you have an interesting way of looking at it. Some people probably don't want every feature, right? So mm-hmm. t- tell us a bit about that.
2: Yeah, know, I, I mentioned that and, and you know what you see is that so, some OEMs have, have standardized their, their driver assistance suites and what our research has shown us and what we've heard from our customers is sometimes for that base trim customer, that S trim customer, the price point is a lot more appealing than all these extra driver assistance features. You know, there are people out there who get in their car and they turn off these features. There are still customers today who don't want these features. They want to be 100% in control of their vehicle. They don't want anything beeping at them. They just want to jump in and go, right?
0: Don't tell me I need to be in the middle of the lane. (laughs) I don't want to be, right?
2: Exactly. And so for those individuals, we have ensured that they can have that type of vehicle. However, even on the base, we do have a package that should that customer want to pay a little extra, $8.95, it's a very reasonable price, they can get the remaining features of the IQ Drive um, driver assistance suite two we do have standard for all customers it's the front assist as well as the blind spot monitoring just because we've seen that you know almost all customers do value those two features
0: you mentioned you're a mother
2: yes i am
0: (laughs) what did you learn from being a mother that has helped you in terms of planning this product that is probably going to be driven by a whole lot of mothers across the united states and around the world
2: absolutely absolutely first and foremost I think some, sometimes we don't talk about it enough, but the latch system, you know, being able to easily hook your car seat in the car, having the room to put that car seat in the car, definitely. My daughter, when she was younger, she would get very cranky, and I would often take her for a drive in the car to get her to fall asleep. Well, that's great. She's asleep. I, I pick her up. But then I realize, ah, where did my keys go? And then I'm fishing in my pockets and I have no idea where my keys are. Well, what does the model year 22 Tiguan do? Well, it standardizes Kessie. And what that means is all I need to do is push my door button. I don't need to look for my keys. I don't need to chance waking up my daughter. There's a lot of really cool features, you know, that are helpful to, to everyone, in- including parents.
0: So, Melinda Godek? Thanks so much for being with us. We do appreciate it. Thank you so much. Stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road with Chris Teague. Jackie, right back with you in this question and answer time here on America on the Road. We love taking your listener questions, and I think here's a fascinating question that I'd like to put to my colleague and co-host Chris Teague. This is from Tony in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Tony says this. We hear a lot about global climate change, and a lot of car companies say they want to do something about it. But at the same time, many of them are selling cars with 500 horsepower or more. Would limiting horsepower be a good step to curbing climate change? What's your take on that, Chris?
1: Well, I have three quick points, and maybe none of them will answer your question, but three of them. So the first is that uh, Tony, look at the type of engines that are making that horsepower now. So I mentioned the BMW M5 in the last segment. They're using turbos, even though it's a V8, it's a smaller V8. So they're using turbochargers to get the same amount of power out of a smaller, theoretically more efficient engine. The same thing goes for uh, six-cylinder and four-cylinder engine cars. There are a lot of those, you know, you can get a 450 horsepower four-cylinder uh, if you really want to look at, at serious turbocharging. So that's the first thing. The second thing is, yes, that The power cars, they get people talking and they drive attention uh, and people do buy them. So there's a reason why automakers keep making them. So it makes good business sense, at least in the short term for them to do that. And then the third thing I would say is that how many electric cars are we seeing today that are posting five, six, 700 horsepower numbers and insane zero to 60 times and lap times so you know the horsepower wars are going to continue. They're just going to happen in the electric vehicle space instead of with, with uh, internal combustion engines. So none of those actually answered the, the real question, which was why don't they cut horsepower to to help save emissions? And I would say that those three things, along with the fact that people just like to see horsepower, uh, high horsepower engines, are, are going to ha- you know, help them stick around for a while, even if they become electric.
0: I think there's a lot to what you say, Chris, uh, and I agree with a, a ton of it. I would say if we were to limit horsepower to a particular Particular number. I don't know that it would be good for the consumer overall. There aren't that many 500 horsepower vehicles actually being sold. They are essentially these uh, kind of halo cars, uh, cars that get you talking about a particular brand, but they don't sell in any large numbers. And thus, I doubt that they're contributing all that much to climate change in terms of CO2 emissions. And I think that's our show for today. Chris, thanks so much for being with us and join us again next time on America on the Road. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and drivingtoday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. California save an average of $670 with Mercury, so imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at mercuryinsurance.com. And if you're looking to buy a new or used car, you just want automotive information, go to drivingtoday.com. That's drivingtoday.com, your source of all kinds of automotive information and the official website of the America on the Road radio show, drivingtoday.com.